You know what? You guys suck on podcasts, but you're damn good marriage counselors. <laughs> <laughs> We're the best at it. Thanks for the tip, Billy. Yeah. I like, to, I, I like to pay it forward. You know, I'm a giver. My face is going to hurt later, and it's all because of you. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. some news guys what i just started working at a prison oh yeah yay (laughs) billy's not excited but i am so you might have noticed i've been a little bit absent from you know the pages and stuff it's because i've been doing this like whole orientation self-defense training thing that i have to do and i'm fucking tired and sore But hopefully that'll all get resolved soon and I'll get used to being around convicts all day. And uh, Yeah, that's great. I'll come back to the world. That's really awesome. (laughs) I think it's fun. I think if you have to go to a job where you have to get patted down every fucking day, you probably shouldn't have a job. I don't have to go to that job. That's a job I chose. I know, but it's like, why? Don't bother answering. You know, we've been through this. It's okay. And it's like I've said before... Because uh, your mother, she's not a fan of it either. And I, I told her, I was like, well, you know, if, if Erica wants to shave her head and join the fucking circus, I'll be the first to tell her that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. But I'll also go out and buy the clippers. But what if they give me the job of painting the monkey silver? Who the fuck would ever pay you to paint monkeys? That's The awful. circus. That's an awful thing to do. But I will stand by you. I don't agree with it, but you are my wife and I will support you in every way I can. Thanks, hon. Just know when you go to work and I'm by myself, I'm like, this is so fucking stupid. <laughs> but whenever I see you, I'll be like, how's work, hon? You know? <laughs> Tell me about your day. It'll be fine. It's been fun. Oh, good. That's great. Yeah. I I'm learned all these self-defense things. that You I... could have asked me. Okay. I, was, I relearned a lot of them because Billy has practiced martial arts and pressure points and all kinds of stuff on me for years. I just have a natural reaction to flinch and swat him away when he comes near. So, <laughs> it so always, it's worked out well. It always starts the same way, too. It's like, come here, honey. It won't hurt. <laughs> yep. They <laughs> see, so you know, Erica got slammed against the wall, and I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> My bad. Just, just, do you feel your fingers? Pop your elbow. It'll go back in the place. Yeah, every time that we were taught a pressure point, I could just point to where it is on my body and tell my partner, it's right here. I know. My husband has done it a lot. And then they look at me kind of funny. And I'm like, no, it's not like that. I make sandwiches <laughs> fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's my exciting news. So, welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, where Erica now works at a prison. Yay. Yay. I am Erica. This is my... Not very happy about it, husband Billy. Supportive husband Billy, who loves his wife immensely. Yeah. 
It's got really good insurance, and I get three weeks of vacation a year. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you get discounts to theme parks, which we will take So that's of. what Billy's excited about. <laughs> the discounts to good, theme parks. It's a good plus. I mean, shit, dude. Why pay 20 if you could pay 10? <laughs> you, you want to be there anyway? Fuck it. Might as well. Yeah. Which reminds me, I have got to actually buckle down and get serious and start losing weight. Remember when we went to Holiday World? Mm-hmm. I hardly fit in any of those rides. I had to sit basically one ass cheek in the seat and one ass cheek against the, the side of the, the car. That's how I broke my rib on that one turn. Mm-hmm. I, I broke my floating rib. That's why. It's because I was sitting in properly anyway. And then we got on that one ride with the where it's the metal roller coaster where your feet are hanging. Mm-hmm. And that poor girl had to help me push down and lock the thing in place. And that's when I was like, you know, uh, probably time for a fucking change. So, by the time it comes around that we're going to go to theme parks next summer, I'm going to lose weight. I feel like you've been saying this in the year and a half we've been doing the podcast. Yeah, really. A lot. I've taken so many before pictures that it's really just a... It's a slideshow of me getting really fat. Well, figure out a way where we can both do something about our hideously deformed bodies. You are gorgeous. Nah, I yeah. can lose some weight too. No, you're beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. So um, she had to straddle me to make it click. <laughs> a bitch was straddling you. Yeah, yeah, she was next to you. You were probably looking <laughs> the other way, like no, 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 this is not my husband. And I'm sitting here like, I'm sorry, I love sourdough. <laughs> it's just, it was awful the entire time. I bought the place for Belinda's birthday. <laughs> Does this ride come with butter? <laughs> <laughs> is there bacon at the end of this? <laughs> That would be the best ride ever. You get off a roller coaster and you get your free complimentary plate of bacon. Smothered in butter. <laughs> Smothered in butter. <laughs> yep. That would be the greatest. So, uh, so yeah, we've got a fun one for you guys this week. Uh, the topic this episode is one that was actually brought to me by our baller patron, Amy. Which Hi, is Amy. Which is one of the reasons why we wanted her um, Patreon perk. For the level that she's at, it's introducing the show. So we wanted it to be specifically on this episode, which worked out great because of the time that she brought me the episode and the time that she joined Patreon. So she actually briefly worked on one of the cases we're going to cover uh, tonight when she was a deputy coroner. And her favorite position, the field training officer for the interns, because she loves them so much. And uh, you'll you'll find out that she doesn't. <laughs> We sat and uh, actually Skyped with her and her husband, Rusty, trombone. Just kidding, Rusty. I, that, that's the first thing I thought of when I heard Rusty, Rusty trombone. I've never had a Rusty trombone and I don't want one. Yeah, I'm not. Mm-mm. If you ever gave me a Rusty trombone. It I, won't happen. I probably like, I'll love you, but I won't look at you this same. <laughs> Afterwards, I'll kind of judge you for the rest of your life. I would expect that. So, uh, so yeah, we sat and talked with um, Amy and Rusty for, geez, over an hour and a half. And uh, we didn't really come up with a, an intro, per se, but we did have a really awesome time talking with them. Yeah, they're great. So, we'll be putting in snippets of the conversation throughout the show. So, whenever you hear one or two random voices jump in, that's what it is. So, let's hop right in. We asked Amy uh, what she had been doing for a living when she came across this topic that we're going to cover. Well, what I did in Wyoming, I was um, 
Wyoming is not a medical examiner state. It's a county coroner state. Uh-huh. So in Fremont County, which is where the Udens originally started, I originally started out as a fireman, and I was all pregnant and mad as hell one night. <laughs> When it took for fucking ever for the coroner to come out to a car wreck and claim that body is dead. Like, no shit, he's been dead for three hours. Thanks for coming out. <laughs> but I was pregnant, so I got all snarly and got in the county coroner's face and told him, you know what, if you can't come out here sooner than this, because we were on the outskirts, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you can't come out here sooner, name some of us to be coroners too, deputy coroners. And then poof, I'll just look at him that bastard's dead. Poof, we're done. <laughs> so, is it, um, pardon my ignorance, but is it kind of like the, you know like the movie Seven, um, the, the the big fat guy whose face was in a bowl? And was it one of those things where it's like, you know he's dead, we all know he's dead, but the right. guy has to actually come out and be like, yeah, he didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> right, it was full-blown, he only had half a face. We mm-hmm. all knew he was dead. Yeah, kind Wait, of hard to survive with half You're telling me half he couldn't face. walk it off? No. Nah, he could have tried harder, but he didn't try at all. He he had no That's, will to live. He had a lot of he, he had a lot of quit <laughs> He had a lot of quit in him. He had no effort at all. Sometimes you just gotta believe in yourself and make it happen. Yeah. I believed we sat there and stared at him for three motherfucking hours and he would not get up and walk off. <laughs> he didn't shake a leg, he didn't do nothing. Well how long did you end up doing that? Well, I did it for uh, with the coroner's office. I did. They ended up hiring me on and throwing me through the police academy and everything else. I did that for eight years, and I ended up um, <clears throat> being the intern. Ah, oh, they gave me all the interns, yuck! But I ended <laughs> up turning into a full time job, and I um, was the field training officer. At some point, I went from being a bossy ass pregnant bitch <laughs> to the field training officer. So everyone that came through the coroner's office had to go through me and everyone with the sheriff's office, the PD. I had to tell them how to process homicides and suicides. That's all I ended up doing. Please tell me that you had a rookie that would vomit. (laughs) Every fucking time. Yes. Every fucking time. Wait, did you say that when they vomited? Did you go every fucking time when they vomited? (laughs) Yes. Yes. But um, don't judge her. I was at the counseling uh, service, right? And they called me at work, and they're all, hey, we have a decomp, but you don't mind, do you? And I'm driving towards it, and I thought, what the fuck does that mean? You don't <laughs> mind a decomp? <laughs> hey, I'm a lady. <laughs> I don't mind a decomp. I don't give a fuck. Whatever. He was flower. the nastiest decomp, though. <laughs> and then we asked what uh, info she might like all of you to know about the topic. And since she didn't have much of a direct connection to the case because it was kind of at the end of her career in the coroner's office, she admitted that we probably had more information than she actually did. So here's her introduction. I really have nothing to say about it other than, ah, it's weird as shit. Well, the Utans are super double extra fucked up and they were raised wrong and it took them 20 years to sell that fucking farm so we could go dig it up and Eric could go. Well, how did you come across the Fuck case? Fuck sakes, I think we just did it. <laughs> yes! That's it! And cut! Got it! <laughs> cut, that's a wrap. Alright, so let's catch the rest of you snuggle bunnies up to speed. 
This is a case involving Gerald and Alice Uden. And um, if you look at the picture that we use for this episode on the website. MartiniZinnaMacabre.com. Yep. Little elderly couple. And uh, Alice, her mugshot, if you ask me, she looks like Tobin Bell, who played Jigsaw in the Saw movies. Just, that's how I see her in that mugshot. But, yeah, you, you would not expect these stories we're going to cover here to be these little old people. But let's go back. So, in the spring of 1974, a woman in Riverton, uh, Wyoming, was looking to sell a gun. And this woman was Virginia, who was a divorcee with two boys, six-year-old Richard and five-year-old Reagan. And she had inherited a Winchester pump-action 22 caliber rifle from her grandfather, and she was looking to have it appraised to find out how much she could potentially sell it for, as being a single mother with two children, put a crunch on her pocketbook. Sure. So she met up with this man named Gerald Uden, who agreed to check it out for her. Gerald was a blue-collar worker employed at the U.S. Steel Mines, and he knew a thing or two about guns. Well, when the two met up, Gerald ended up asking Virginia out on a date. And Gerald was kind of a gritty type of guy that women were attracted to, and Virginia was no different. The two went on a date and quickly slipped into a serious relationship, with Gerald proposing soon after they started dating, and Virginia accepting. This was after the mozzarella sticks came to the table. What? It was on the first date. Oh, <laughs> Were they at the Olive Garden? (laughs) (laughs) How's the tour of Italy working for you? (laughs) I love her. (laughs) Fried chicken will bring anybody together. Fried chicken? Uh, yeah. Have you had it? (laughs) It's delicious. So good. (laughs) So, Gerald began growing very close with Richard and Reagan, her two sons. He spent time with them fishing and hunting and kind of became a father figure to them as they didn't have contact with their biological father, whose name was Jack Beard. So on July 23rd, 1974, Gerald and Virginia married. And that was just after they'd been dating, you know, a couple of months. Hey, when you know, you know. They knew. (laughs) Match.com. So less than a year later, on March 28th of 1975, Gerald legally adopted the two boys, and they took his last name of Uden. And I couldn't find out if their biological father, like, signed over rights or how the adoption came about, but in some way it was legalized. He would have to sign over rights because other other way, otherwise he'd be like, um, no, he's well, my, I didn't, these are my kids. I no. didn't know if it was like he wasn't on the birth certificate or, you know, I, I wasn't sure about all that. But it was legalized and Gerald legally became their adoptive father. So sounds great, right? Probably not. Not so much. For unknown reasons, Virginia filed for divorce about six weeks after the adoption was legalized and less than a year into the marriage. You never said they'd take your name. I don't know if that's what, that, what happened, but, you know. I don't know. <laughs> now, I don't <clears throat> want to speak ill of the dead. Spoiler alert, she dies. Um, but I almost kind of wonder if she was looking for a man to adopt the boys to help care for them. I mean... If they didn't have contact with Jack, who was, you know, her ex, their father, he probably wasn't paying child support and definitely wasn't providing any kind of emotional support. So you're saying, like, she was looking for a sugar daddy? Is that Maybe. pretty much what... And I mean, for, am I following Well, I mean, saying? for her to let this man adopt them only to file for divorce weeks later, it just, it seems odd. You know, like, what could have happened in that six-week period that would have been so horrible that it led to divorce could after I? this man just 
adopted kind of your sounds kids. like a relay race where Beard is like, here, you take them. And then he ran, and then Vir- and Virginia's like, here, you take them. And he's like, I'll adopt them. And she's like, fine, bye. Now you got them. Yeah. Hot potato. The kids are hot potatoes. Maybe. And I, I couldn't really find any cause for the divorce in any of the research. So, I mean, this is totally just a thought of mine, but... And straight bugging, you can't put on a divorce decree. You might be able to. You probably could. I don't know if it would have any legal binding. Oh, uh, the cause for dissolution, or, you, know, you know, the what's it called? Dissolution of D- marriage. Dissolution of marriage is, quote, bitches be tripping. <laughs> All right, prosecution, <laughs> go ahead, present your case. <laughs> well, whatever the reason was, the two of them ended up divorced in 1975. So they were only married like a year. Shortly after this, Gerald met a woman named Alice Prunty. And, you know, once again, he fell head over heels because he just likes to do that. I know a guy, I'm not going to say his name, but like, I know a guy who meets a woman and then is like, she's the one. And it's like, well, isn't one and only that kind of, I mean, you can't say that she's your whole world because you've had a few. uh, (laughs) And you've said this a time or two. I just, I can't imagine, like, you know, getting over somebody and be like, I'm in love. And then again, be like, I'm in love again. The other one was bullshit. This one's real. Really? Is it? Because mm-hmm. we've heard this song. Like, you mean my fiance? I'm like, God damn, really? <laughs> Y'all went to Arby's? How? <laughs> Honey, we gotta go to Arby's. It must be really good. <laughs> well, you see... Alice had been married and divorced three times already and had a total of five children, three sons and two daughters. And it was actually quite late in my research that I discovered that she even had more than two kids because only two were really part of like the main backstory. Uh, Her youngest was a toddler girl about three or four this time named Erica Go. Well, not (laughs) not really, but those two words tend to just run out together most of the time. What was her name? Erica. Go. Go. (laughs) And uh, she seemed to be the only child that was actually, like, living with Alice for some reason. Um, Did they chain her up? I don't believe so. I don't have any proof that they didn't. Alice in Chains. Yeah. Which I've heard on the oldie station. Yep. Went to work today to do the paperwork. You know what else was playing on the oldie station? Fucking Mariah Carey. And every time... I hear a song on the oldie station. I out loud go, nah, <laughs> it's getting worse. It's getting really bad. Like Nirvana, Soundgarden, um, stained. Um, let's see. I, I would say Marilyn Manson, but I have heard of Marilyn Manson on actual terrestrial radio. Cause what's the point? It'd all be half of it be bleeped out, but it's like, wow, these are, oldies. he doesn't cuss that much in his music. I know, but we live in Indiana, and they'll be like, oh, he says something about God. And no, but still, it's amazing what's being considered oldies anymore. Well, um, it's amazing that you made a very poor joke about Alice and Change when the daughter's name is Erica Go. Her name is not Alice. But Alice. Alice is the mom. Put her in chains. Um, Erica's, er, Erica's in chains. Alice, Alice is in Erica Go. Just <laughs> fucking go. <laughs> Okay, God so damn it. <laughs> so Gerald and Alice get hitched in 1976. She's the one. So, <laughs> so uh, this was only you know 
a year after being married to Virginia. This is his second marriage and her fourth. Now, despite this strange arrangement of families, Gerald continued to share custody and get visitations with the boys, as well as pay for their child support. He is the dad. So, this very odd setup sounds great, right? No, probably not. Now, Virginia got her divorce that she wanted. Gerald got the new wife he wanted, and the boys were still financially taken care of and had a father figure in their lives. But, well, not so much. Cut to four years later. On September 12th of 1980, Virginia's mother, Claire Martin, had loaned her car to her 32-year-old daughter so that she and the boys could meet up with Gerald. Now, Richard was 11 by this time, and Reagan was 10. Gerald had said he wanted to take the boys bird hunting, and so he asked Virginia to bring along a rifle for them to use and meet up with him, and they would all go bird hunting. So Claire loaned her daughter the car. She waved goodbye as the three of them drove off, expecting Virginia to return the car in a few hours. But as the day turned into evening and the three didn't return, Claire began to get worried. She had a friend and her friend's baby over for a visit at the time, and she was just like anxiously watching the clock while her friend was trying to ease her concerns. You know, they'll, they'll show up. I'm sure everything's okay. Well, eventually Gerald shows up at Claire's house and says he is looking for Virginia and the boys. Up until then, I was kind of on the friend side trying to ease her because it's like, um, I know you're worried. It's hunting. This isn't a <laughs> scheduled thing. You kind of got to wait for the animal to show up. You can't, yeah. you can't be like, hey, it's a quarter till deer. But Come she on, also, make she, with the meat. She knows her daughter, and she knows her daughter is not going to wait around to kill some fucking animal into the night. A bird. Birds don't tend to be nocturnal unless they're fucking owls. I love owls. We know. It's called patience. You got to have patience when you hunt. <laughs> well, Gerald shows up and says that, you know, they were supposed to come to his house, meet up and go on this hunting trip, but that the three actually never showed up. So now Claire is in full-on mama bear mode and knows something is very wrong. She knows Virginia wouldn't just take off or break plans without telling someone, especially with her sons. Claire made Gerald drive all over town for over an hour looking for the missing family, with Gerald trying to reassure her that they would show up eventually. Claire wasn't the least bit reassured and instead went to the Fremont County Sheriff's Office and reported Virginia, Richard, and Reagan missing. Now, this clip um, is from Larry Matthews. This is from um, a documentary that I watched on Investigation Discovery. They have a show called Married with Secrets, and I believe it was actually their very first episode. It's called Never Coming Home. And this is a clip from that. It's Larry Matthews, a former sheriff of Fremont County. That's a grim title to a show. You kind of know what's going to happen, really. Oh, but no. there's a whole lot more to it than just this. Like like you're at Discovery, you know, Corporation, and you're like, okay, what's your pilot? The pilot is... They all fucking die. We're going to call it that. And you're like, wow, okay, really glad you kept it vague. We didn't have that many missing persons cases. And usually when we did have a missing person, they were usually found within a few hours or the next day. Gerald told authorities the same thing he had told Claire, that Virginia and the boys just never showed up to meet him. He didn't know where they were, didn't know what happened. So the police began searching all over town and finding no sign of Virginia, the boys, or even the car, which was a 1973 Ford station wagon. Nobody's any wiser on where the three could possibly be. I haven't seen it. I'm going to look it up right now. But whenever I see that, I think of National Lampoon's, the Griswold's 1973 station wagon, the green Mm -hmm. wood panel. I'm going to look it up. You keep going. I'm going to see what it looks like. All righty. 
Now, a week after the three went missing, Claire received a telegram reportedly from Virginia. Now, I'm going to read it as it was printed, like on the prop for the documentary that I watched on ID. An actor playing Virginia's role reads it aloud, and what she says doesn't exactly match up with what is on the paper prop that, you know, Claire is holding. And I couldn't find an actual copy of the official telegram that was sent. So all of this may just be paraphrasing on the part of ID for all I know, but here is what, you know, the actual telegram said in the show. Dear mom, I am in trouble. It is better if you do not know about it. I had to leave in a hurry. There was not time to tell you. We are with friends in Pennsylvania now. I think we will be all right for a while. It is safer for you if you do not know exactly where we are. V.U. Martin. Now, the actress reading it says that they are in Illinois, but headed to stay with friends in Pennsylvania, and also says, I love you at the end. So, the two are pretty similar, but not exactly the same, which I thought was kind of weird. You know, you're making a show, you'd think you'd want your prop and your voice actor to be the same thing, you yeah. know? So, they had one job to do, and they fucked that up. Whoever was in charge of the prop design... Way to go. Way to go, design team. Yeah. Uh, my name Way is, to go, Steve. My name is William Jones. You can find me, and I'll come and help you. I'm talking to the station, not if you're like a killer. Don't call me. <laughs> He's not the one you want. No. Nuh-uh. Well, the hope Claire received from the telegram was short-lived when her station wagon was found on October 4th of 1980, just a couple of weeks later. The car was found 40 miles away from Riverton, where the families all lived, and had been driven or pushed over the edge of a mountain ridge towards a canyon below. It had gotten caught up on some boulders and trees about 75 feet below, like where the ridge dropped off, and had been covered with pine branches in an attempt to hide it. How can you hide it, given the fact that cars are not biodegradable, but plants are? I mean, you can cover with branches, but after a while... Like, when winter comes, uh, branches are just going to wither the fuck away, and then you just have a car. True, but it'll give you some time. I guess. Give you a head start. Sure. Well, and also, when they investigated it closer, a rag was found hanging out of the gas tank as if someone had considered torching the car, but they either maybe changed their mind or were interrupted before they could light the rag, so it may not have been that it was to hide the car. It could have been used as like kindling makes me if they planned on setting it on fire. Kind of makes me think of No Country for Old Men. One of the best movies ever fucking made, to be honest with you. He's outside the pharmacy. He tore the car to create a diversion to get the medicine he needed to fix up his leg. Anton Chigurh is the character I'm speaking of. Happened in Texas as in the 80s. It's okay. Why are you whispering? Just Erica, go. <laughs> Just go. Sorry. <laughs> well, also... um, Aside from the rag hanging out of the gas tank, they found a large amount of blood all over the interior. So, that's not a good sign. The blood was tested and found to be type A, which is the most detailed information that could be gathered with science at that time. Hey, that's close to me. I'm a negative. Yeah, you're type A. Yay, we learned something. The negative and the positive are an RH factor. So, your type is A. You are type A. Just like I'm type A. I'm just A plus and you're A minus better than you you know i could tell by looking in your fucking eyes (laughs) when you said that i was like she's gonna fucking she's gonna fucking you know take a dig at me Uh wow i got roasted because of my fucking blood yep wow billy's blood is in high demand it's it's one of the rarer ones i'm fucking special not really they won't let you donate because all your fucking tattoos don't let me donate i just can't donate plasma 
but I can donate blood. When's the last time you donated blood? High school. But point is, is I could do it. <laughs> but I can. <laughs> I could do it. I could do anything if I want. Sure. Except the whole pla- Except plasma. Except the whole plasma thing. <laughs> they turned me around, like at the door. <laughs> I walked in with my medical records, military medical records. And they're like, they looked at me and they're like, nah. I was like, what? What'd I do? And they pointed at my arms and they're like, you have tattoos. I'm like, I'm pretty sure damn near everybody on the planet has fucking tattoos. But they had this graph, this plastic graph they put on top of your skin. Mm-hmm. And that radius has to be clear of any tattoos so that they can do a proper draw. So that's all it is. Technically, I can, if you want to take it from my fucking behind my knee, or if you want to take it from my foot, my other foot, not the one that has a tattoo on it, because the <laughs> whole point is, is they just want to be nitpicky and they don't want to fucking... Oh, so they're nitpicky. They don't want to take the time to do a good job. So, yeah. Fuck them. Y'all don't get my plasma. Next time you need plasma, you'll be like, damn, wish Billy had plasma he could give me, and I got oodles of plasma. Y'all ain't getting any. Because the man says I can't do it. Yeah, I like how you've turned it around. You're not getting it because you won't take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It went from a, this is a real bummer story to I'm holding my plasma hostage and you'll never and get it. And it's only because you won't let me give it. Yeah. I guess you're just going to have to fucking die of shock. And you don't get to have any fucking plasma. <laughs> I got so much of it. I know because I tattoo myself. And I see whenever I tattoo myself, you have blood, and then you have clear stuff kind of coming out. Kind of looks like water, but it's kind of yellow tint. That's plasma because of the vibrations. You're separating it, and there's plasma coming out. I'm looking at it, I'm like, ooh, fucking liquid gold. Y'all could have had it, but no. <laughs> As you're adding more tattoos to the arms that they won't accept. And you know what I do with that rag? I fucking throw it away. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for throwing away your biohazard. Yep. <laughs> My biohazard. Yep. It's all yours, son. Mine. You can have it all. You can keep it. I'm selfish with my biohazards. <laughs> so anyway, yes, she was type A, as we've decided you and I both are. Fuck and uh, Fuck it, plasma. <laughs> yeah, Virginia's type A, the blood's type A. So they've got what is similar, same type as Virginia's blood all over the inside of this car. Um, but no blood that was in the car was ever matched to the blood types of the boys. So I'm assuming they had their father's blood type. See, when you say all over the car, you know what that made me think of? It. The sources I found said it was all over the interior of the car. Pulp Fiction. Remember? Marvin mm-hmm. Nash. Was that his name? Marvin Nash. That's Reservoir Dogs. The guy's name was Marvin. Because I remember he was like, oh, I shot Marvin in the face. Yeah. But remember, like, they were cleaning it, and Samuel James was like, I'm never going to fucking forgive your ass for this shit. It was every fucking where. Mm-hmm. So whenever you said the blood was I don't think car, it was that. It's just there was a significant amount of blood throughout the car. It's not like the shining let loose on the inside of the car <laughs> and came pouring in. Or like when I floss. But anyway. <laughs> also kind of made me think of Reservoir Dogs. Got shot in the stomach, and he was back of the car. You're going to be okay. That's a, there's a lot back there, too. Yep. Go ahead. Well, there was, there was a lot of blood in the car. I they like couldn't ma- <laughs> couldn't match any of it to the boys. Check out Boozy Movies. That's a good podcast. Used to be called Film Roast, but they changed their name. But check them out. So Claire had to be notified that the car and the blood had been found, which was a huge blow to what little hope she had. But the authorities continued to search the ridge and canyon for several days, but they didn't find any more evidence. That's a fucked up phone call. 
we found your car. It was in the bottom of a ravine. You know, like it was, mm-hmm. it was off a cliff and destroyed. Oh, my God. Yeah, we found that blood you might be missing, too. Fucking what? <laughs> Did you lose a lot of blood before she borrowed your car? Um... <laughs> there was no plasma, though, ma'am. Oh, so Billy's okay? Yeah, Billy's fine. <laughs> well, the investigation continued, focusing on Virginia's past for any potential clues, since there was very little in the way of physical evidence or leads. All they had was a car hanging off the side of a cliff with blood in it. I know, that's, I was about to say that before you read it. Like, all they have is a bloody fucked up car yeah which with, is with no signs of virginia or the boys being alive or dead other than the fact that you had some blood in the car yeah which is fucked up enough too because you're standing outside of the car looking at it like i don't even fucking know where to <laughs> fucking begin <laughs> steve look for blood on the ground there's so much in the car yeah i know but fuck it we'll start somewhere well i mean so they didn't have anything in her current life to go off of so they thought well you know maybe something in her past Past has life. reared its ugly head? No, no, not past a past life. life. This turned into a paranormal episode. No. Aw. Nope. But it's still pretty fucked up. Plasma. <laughs> so they spoke with Jack Beard, who was Virginia's ex and the biological father to Richard and Reagan. He denied having anything to do with the three going missing and informed the police that he didn't even have contact with them, which would be pretty believable since obviously he didn't have any contact with him if he signed over his rights and let some other man adopt his kids. Thank you. I thought that too. Like all Jack Beard would have to say is like, um, he has an adopt. They have an adopted father. Ask him because clearly, what you know, they're also probably in the mindset too of you know maybe he changed his mind and he wanted his kids back and so he wanted to get back. I mean, you know, they have to look at all you know, the possibilities. That's that's what I'm saying. Is like what I think is is they just had to check this off the list. I don't think they had anything to go off of, but they're just like, ask the beard guy. Maybe if he knows something. He probably don't. Like they knew that before. Like you know when they're in the driveway and they're like, fuck, uh, let's stop at Burger King on the way back. Like <laughs> they knew that they, they just didn't want to go anywhere. Well, the authorities were able to confirm his alibi for the day in question, and so he was eliminated as a person of interest, just completely. And with nothing else to go on but a car and some blood, the case stalled. Alice's daughter, Erica Goh, who was about seven or eight at this time, recalled seeing her stepbrother's faces on milk cartons. I remember seeing my stepbrothers on milk cartons. Many people in the community had a gut feeling that Gerald was involved after the bloody car was found. Virginia didn't have any enemies, and Gerald seemed to be the only one with a possible motive of getting rid of the ex and the adopted sons, whether for financial or personal reasons. And in January of 1981, Gerald visited the sheriff's office, telling them that someone had been following him and was going to try to kill him. He gave them a note that was sent to him, which I'll quote from the documentary as it was read, quote, Our tribe is watching you. You did harm to the family of a good woman. We will take revenge for her, end quote. Gerald claimed it was Native Americans from the Wind River tribe whose reservation was directly adjacent to their town. He claimed to have received death threats and notes saying that he, quote, better come clean and that he knows more than he's saying. The authorities agreed to talk to the tribe council and look into the threats, but the tribe denied having any involvement with Gerald Uden or the missing Uden's case. Time carried on with no further leads. In 1982, Gerald lost his job, so he, Alice, and Erica go relocate to Alice's hometown of Chadwick, Missouri. The police found this odd since Gerald's sons, by law, were still missing, 
And most parents don't up and move to another state when their children are missing, as they tend to kind of hold out hope that they'll just show back up at their familiar home one day. But there wasn't really anything about moving that directly tied him to their disappearance two years prior, so nothing could really be done. Yeah, it's just weird. It's strange. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Gerald and Alice must have had some kind of nest egg or severance package from Gerald's job because they purchased a 100-acre farm and began raising pigs and emus. What a combination. They also started their own trucking company. So they made up for the money that they spent pretty quickly, and their businesses were lucrative enough that they could afford to send Erica Go to private school. She said she was always provided for and had everything she ever wanted. I was always provided for. I always had everything I ever wanted. Alice joined a church and ended up becoming very well-known in the church. And Erica Go considered Gerald and Alice's marriage to be, quote, rock solid. A local in the area described Gerald and Alice as, quote, the kind of neighbors you leaned over the fence and talked about your chickens with, end quote. So that has to be a region thing because I've never once thought of leaning over my fence and talking with my neighbors about chickens. We're just not in that environment where you talk to neighbors about chickens. I, I guess not. Our neighbors don't have chickens, but if they had chickens, I'd be like, hey, you got chickens. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'd say. <laughs> Let me get one of those chickens up off you. <laughs> have you had fried chicken? Have you had it? <laughs> it's so good. During this time, Claire was desperate to find any information that could lead her to her daughter and grandsons, so she hired a psychic from out of state, and they went up on the mountain ridge where the car had been found. As you would do. The psychic said that authorities needed to search in water, that either their bodies or evidence would be found in some body of water. Authorities searched a nearby stream in the canyon, but found nothing. No further evidence or leads would be found for many years to come. But when new information came, it wasn't what authorities were expecting. Many news articles and other sources I found stated that authorities were approached in 1989 by someone with information about an old murder, and the documentary claims that Alice's son Todd Scott approached the authorities with information on an old murder, but without listing a date as to when he did that. So, although I can't verify that he is actually the one that came to the police in 1989, I assume that they probably are one and the same. So, I'm going to go with it like that's the case. So, Todd Scott was Alice's son from either her first or second marriage. He tells police that his mother confessed to him in 1975 or 1976 that she had killed her third husband, Ron Holtz, a murder that authorities weren't even aware of. So, this is where we got to do a little time jumping here. Let's go back to 1974 again. Marty! Around the same time that Gerald and Virginia had gotten together, another love connection was made. In August of 74, Alice was working as a nurse in the psychiatric unit of a VA hospital in Sheridan, Wyoming. 25-year-old Ronald Holtz was admitted as a patient. This is a psych unit. (laughs) She's a nurse. He's admitted as a psychiatric patient. But anyway, Ron had been a helicopter gunner in the Vietnam War. That's actually a cool position. He was honorably discharged in 1970 for what the sources refer to as, quote, multiple psychiatric problems, including suicidal threats. I'm not saying it doesn't come with its own baggage. But that job, at least in the Army... That's a cool job to have. I think I think you're, you're referred to as like helicopter chief or something like that. What's cool is like you got the guys up front that fly, 
And you got the guys up front who control the rockets and the and the mounted machine guns and stuff like that. Well, I'm talking modern. I'm not talking Vietnam. But you're the guy in the back with the technical, with the fully automatic weapon. You're the guy who actually decides who gets on, who gets you know, like uh, when they're when they're loading casualties in a movie and they're like, We can't take no more. That's the gunner saying, Hey, we can't take no more, you're we're too heavy or well, and this was in Vietnam, so he probably saw some shit. Oh, sure. That so was not, led to this. I'm not knocking him in any way for having oh, psych no. problems, but no, a nurse getting together with one of her psych patients, that's a little bit um, fucked up. <laughs> Inappropriate. Kind of makes me think of the whole prison. Whatever. I don't plan on getting involved with any of the inmates. There's honey. a history of it. I'm not saying I'm insecure, <laughs> and I don't think you're going to do it. There's a history of that in that profession. I don't see why you would... Okay, whatever. But the point I'm making is it's cool to be the chief in the helicopter. He's the guy in the back, but he pretty much controls the helicopter. He's like, you know, I see this bank right, bank left. Shift me over. We can only take one more person. This person can't go type of thing. Like He's actually like... He's in the back and he's not flying anything, but he's really in charge of the whole fucking helicopter. And that's pretty neat. Okay. Well, he had gotten that discharge in 1970 for the psych problems. Something must have happened in those four years that caused him to be admitted as an inpatient into the psych unit. Because if he was already discharged four years prior with psychiatric issues, I don't know what happened in between. But he, for some reason, was back in an inpatient setting in a psych unit. The two formed a friendship that developed into a swiftly moving relationship in just weeks. Oh my god, I get it. (sighs) What? He's mysterious. He has a dark past. He's kind of a bad boy. He's tough. But he's showing a little bit of weakness and all that stuff. And then she fucking is smitten with that. I get it. I get exactly what happened. Yeah, that totally makes sense now. Or she's just a woman who's been married twice and has five kids. Or that. but And she's looking for a baby daddy. But how many women, I'm not generalizing women, but how many women want the bad boy, the renegade, the guy with the... With a, with a history who is afflicted by it every day. And you don't ask him why he's crying. You already know. But you won't say it. You won't ask about the night terrors. And when, you know, you wake up in the morning and he has a knife to your throat. And you're like, this is kind of hot because he's dark. I get it. You've thought about this a lot, haven't you? I've Are read, you writing a book? I've read articles. <laughs> <laughs> well, their um, relationship... I mean, the two were married the very following month on September 17th. So they met in August and were married by the mid- middle of September. So there's kind of the background on that. This was her third husband, like I said. Vietnam vet, psych unit, got married quickly. So now let's jump back to 1989. So did she have to quit or do you think she got fired? I have no clue. Isn't that considered like fraternization, sort of? Unless he was already discharged from the hospital before anyone knew they were dating. Or do you think fraternization would be more, you're a nurse and you fall in love with another nurse who's on your staff? Would that I be don't know if it would be fraternization or not. Sure but, enough, they, she wouldn't have that job anymore. There's no way. Or he got discharged and it's all good. Go ahead. So we're back in 1989 and this is when Alice's son Todd is talking to the authorities. Now he relayed to authorities what Alice allegedly told him in the mid-70s. Alice said that Ron had been abusive and crazy, and he drank heavily, and allegedly he beat her. She had gotten sick of it, 
So sometime after Christmas of 74, um, between then and like February of 1975 and that couple month period, at some point in that time, she waited until Ron passed out drunk and then snuck up on him with a 22 caliber rifle and shot him as he slept. You know, this kind of falls in line with what I always say. It is, and that's what I said before, where it's like you have that allure of a mysterious man, but then you find out, oh, wait, there's a fucking reason because of that. He's not right. And it's like women who want, like, the bad boy, and then they realize, oh, he's bad. Oh, he's a, he's a bad fucking person. I made a mistake. Not this whole, I'll fix him. No. He's a piece of shit. It, it didn't change anything. Just now he has a ring. That's it. She then told her son that she put Ron's body in a large cardboard barrel and dumped it down a mine shaft and that no one would ever find him. What's a cardboard barrel look like? It's like that heavy grade cardboard, but it's in like a round barrel. She said she had Christmas decorations or like a Christmas tree or something in it. So it's a really large cardboard barrel like that stores stuff. Like shipping material yeah. cardboard. Like, you know, the tubes that you ship like posters and stuff in, like this real thick, yeah. you know, like that thick. Like that kind of a barrel. That's weird. And why would you put a body in there? They leak. She just needed it for transport. I guess you want to get... Hey, you know what? She got rid of a body and clutter. So, good. Except what's she going to do with all those Christmas decorations now? (laughs) Tune in next week on Hoarders. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. she, She put him in this barrel, dumped him down the mine shaft. She told Todd about it, said no one would ever find him. Evidently, she told Ron's family in Colorado that he had just run off. And for some reason, to them, that was believable because no one ever questioned it. So I don't know if he had a history of just taking off or if with his psych problems, they just thought, well, that sounds right. But no one ever wondered where in the fuck Ron was. We're in the real world. And my question is, why doesn't the local authorities do sweeps of mine shafts? It seems to be the place to put a body. If I was in charge, if I was like the sheriff, I would have a team go out and be like, oh, it's Tuesday. This is up in rural Wyoming. Still, though. I'd be like, it's Tuesday, um, check the mine shafts for a fucking body, because that's where I would dump one. <laughs> it's always like that. Oh, they found the body in the bottom of a mine shaft. Check the mine shafts every week. Well, you know, we've been proven wrong. We just did our Patreon episode where we found out that there was actually a mannequin. That time it wasn't a body. Yeah, I just don't know anymore. So, anything's possible. Anyway, no one ever questioned him disappearing, and then Alice filed for divorce... Uh, from Ron just five months after tying the knot, which would have been around February of 1975. And that's kind of how they narrowed down this time frame was because the last time he was seen or heard from was Christmas Eve of 74. And then she filed for divorce in February of 75. She she didn't really get that whole through thick and thin part, right? No. And if the story were true, that would have been after he had been killed. You know, if this story she told Todd that he's now relaying to the police was true when she filed for divorce she knew that he was already dead because she had killed him can you can you file for divorce on a person that's missing yep ron couldn't be located to serve the divorce papers to him so it was just granted in absentia freeing alice to wed again kind of like you win the lawsuit if the person doesn't show up to court yep you win the soccer game if they don't show up her story was he took off and left me they couldn't find him to serve the papers and they were like "Hmm, no one else is reporting him missing so you mean to tell me uh, you don't know where he is, ma'am? Um, no, um, and he's not in a mine shaft. I can tell you that right now. He's not in a cardboard barrel in a mine shaft. Do they make that. cardboard barrels? You're talking crazy. <laughs> uh, ma'am, you've been talking this whole time. I haven't really said anything. 
Well, upon hearing... Sheriff, did you ever get that task force together to check for bodies <laughs> in the mine shafts every week? I suggested it like three times. Didn't you get the fucking memo? Well, upon hearing this, authorities wondered that if Alice was evil enough to kill a husband, could she be evil enough to kill an ex-wife and her two sons? So they asked Todd if he had any knowledge about the Uden's disappearances, and he said that he didn't. I think everybody's evil enough to do anything. It's just whether or not you act on it. Authorities then uh, began to try and verify Todd's story before ever speaking to Alice, because they didn't even know if this man was dead or alive. No one had ever reported him missing. So they learned that Alice had been a caretaker on a remote property called Remount Ranch when she was in her 20s. And there just so happened to be a deep mine shaft on that property. How you like that? So Laramie County Sheriff's Office obtained a search warrant for the area and organized a search group. Wouldn't that be weird? You wake up every Tuesday morning to people outside, and you're like, hey, we're here to check your mine shaft again, and you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, they should do that. They should have... You have to have a search warrant. Okay. Get a fucking search warrant. Every Get, Tuesday for every, every mine Tuesday, shaft. Every Tuesday, and then train your team to be spurlunkers. With what probable cause? Might be a dead body. <laughs> what more probable cause do you need? It, it'd be one of those things where it's like, you know, um, if there's no dead body in there... You have nothing to fucking worry about. We're just checking. We're not going to fuck with your shit. Five what? minutes. In and out. We've perfected it. We've checked so many mine shafts. We could just be like, whoop, whoop, nothing. Well, this... But if we find a cardboard barrel, so help me God, lady. <laughs> well, this search warrant would uh, not be fun or easy by any means. You see, when animals on the ranch died, their carcasses had been dumped into the 20-foot deep shaft. So there are bodies in mine shafts. It was basically a big dumping pit full of decayed dead animals and dirt. Oh. Over the next 15 years, several searches and digs were conducted and only animal bones were found. And it wasn't until August 27th of 2013 that an anthropologist would halt the dig and call in a coroner for what appeared to be human remains. A skeleton and skull had been found and the skull had a bullet hole in the back of it. A 22 caliber round was found inside the skull. Oh, she wasn't a liar. DNA was extracted and proved that the remains were indeed those of Ron Holtz. Alice, 74 years old by this time, was called in for questioning in mid-September by Special Agent Tina Trimble from the Division of Criminal Investigation. We were able to get her down to the sheriff's office for an interview, and we basically told her, we're here to talk to you about some stuff from Wyoming. She was so cordial and was like, yeah, I'll, I'll spend my entire day talking to you about some things that I've already been asked about a million times. And I provide her with a photograph of Ron. You know that thing? No. No? Uh-uh. Never seen him? No? Okay. This is Ron Holtz. And she was like, is it? You know, that boy, I, I don't remember him looking like that. I show her a picture of the skull that was removed from the mine shaft. And I ask her, do you know who this is? And she's like, no. And I said, well, that's Ron Holtz. We know where he is because we have him now. So tell me what happened. Who's Ron? We can start with Ron. And I know that you killed him. Yes. It just rolled right off her tongue. Yeah. I killed him, and I was stunned. And she explains, you know, that they had been in a fight, and he had been drinking, and had been violent with her in the past, and had made threats towards Erica. And I pulled my 22 rifle and 
chatting about the head. Got him into a barrel and put him in the trunk and took him up to the mine and put him in there. So, bam, they've got their killer for Ron. But what about Virginia and the boys? You think that Virginia and the boys deserve to be laid to rest so that they can be at peace? I can't help you. She gave me the impression that she was just a little old grandma, you know, who had never heard a fly. She's still feeding me the same lies that she's told for almost 40 years. Alice was questioned for hours, but never cracked. She completely denied any knowledge about the disappearance of the Udens. Now, Gerald, who was on the road for the trucking company that they owned, He got word about Alice being taken in for questioning and immediately headed back home into the waiting arms of the FBI. He thought she was brought in and arrested for the murders of Virginia, Richard, and Reagan, and the FBI let him go on believing that, hoping he would talk. Because in their minds, they thought maybe these two were connected. I don't know how she could know anything about it, really, because she had nothing really to do with it. Okay. Well, it sounds to me like we got a lot to talk about. And Gerald then started to crack and spill the beans. On the day of the murder, he promised to take the three bird hunting, just as Claire reported to the police. Sure. When Virginia and the boys met up with him, they all got into Claire's station wagon, and Gerald drove them out to a field in a rural area. Virginia was there. The gun was there. I was there. I shot her right square in the back of the head, and she went down. And I whirled, and I shot Richard in the back of the head. And by this time, Reagan had decided that things was going south, and he started running, he tripped, and he fell in the ditch. And I walked over to him, and I shot him. And they were all three dead. So what did I do? I loaded them all in the back of that station wagon. And I took them back home. You know, I had no idea there was that much blood in a person. So I took them out there to the gold mines, and I dumped them in. And I pulled them back out of sight. And I find it weird that she, Virginia, met him because she was having a twenty-two rifle appraised. And then when they met up to go bird hunting, she brought along a twenty-two rifle. And then Ron Holtz, when his skeleton was found they found he was shot with a 22 rifle weird huh yeah if anything if that's the same rifle it works it's not uh, but it's weird yeah <laughs> somebody's got a pension for 22s which is weird because a 22 pistol doesn't do much 22 rifle will do a lot mm-hmm he said about the murders quote as far as i'm aware none of them suffered end quote isn't that just nice of him well that's outright neighborly <laughs> Wonder how his chickens are. Gerald admitted to the police that he had actually planned on killing Claire, too, the grandma, as she was the only person that knew the three were going to meet up with him that day. It's a hell of a thing to admit, but I probably would kill Claire, too. But it just so happened that she had a friend named Marie, and Marie had a baby, and they were all there, and I just lost my stomach for I've done enough killing for one goddamn week. So only after he kills his ex-wife and two sons and considers killing his ex-mother-in-law does he decide that that would just be 
too much killing. But only yeah. too much killing for one week. Let's not go overboard. That would be pushing it. Yeah. I mean, he's just a real winner. Spread it out. Authorities, of course, asked Gerald why he killed all three of them in cold blood. He told me that he absolutely loved Alice and that Virginia was intolerable and that uh, Virginia would try to cause issues in he and Alice's relationship. Alice hated Virginia so much. She kept telling me that, look, you can't let her treat you this way. Alice was the one who couldn't stand the thought of one more minute with Virginia or with the kids. Finally, it just went off. And I said, I've had it. I'm going to solve this problem. And so I did. He's quite the problem solver, isn't he? Told investigators that Virginia was a quote-unquote predator. And said, quote, I saw them all as a wedge. I knew that if I killed one, I was going to kill all of them. I have no excuse, end quote. Nope, not a single excuse that I can find. He later told authorities that he had gone back to the shaft where he left the bodies and took them out. He drove the bodies to Fremont Lake, which is one of the deepest lakes in the U.S., with some sources saying it's 450 feet deep and some saying it's up to 600 feet deep. He claimed he put the bodies into large drums, poked holes in the drums so that they would sink, and then dumped them into the water. So, the psychic said, look in water. He said he dumped them in the water. I personally think, I mean, that's interesting. It is interesting. I think it's a coincidence because if you're not Whoopi Goldberg from the movie Ghost, then you have no credibility in my eyes. (laughs) What you talk about, push Penny under the door? (laughs) You know what? I'm not going to lie. That's a good movie. Yeah. It's a pretty solid movie. I'm not saying I'm going to buy it on YouTube, but I'm not saying I'm not. Have you masturbated to it? No, but let me write that down. (laughs) Add that to my to-do list. (laughs) Why do you think I bought the pottery wheel? (laughs) My love! (laughs) Well, before being extradited to Wyoming and hauled off to prison, he admitted his crimes to Erica Go, and she was just like, I'll be damned. I was just like, I'll be damned. Okay, Erica, I see what you're doing with the fucking clips. Knock it off. But it's Erica Go. Yeah, I get it. We're but one and the same. You're saying it, and it is the you're doing it on purpose. Yep. You're you've been doing this all on purpose. Yep. You dick. That's hilarious. That's actually really great. <laughs> well, she later told now Peop- knock it off. Oh, okay. She later told People Magazine, "quote He finally admitted it. I sat there and thought, son of a bitch. I swear to God, if a clip comes up and it says son of a bitch." I'm going to lose my shit. No, I don't have one. It's People Magazine. It's a magazine. You have to read it with your eyeballs, Billy. They say son of a bitch in People Magazine? Yeah. Wow. Wow. They're talking about a horrible murder of a woman and her two sons. You think they would censor profanity in a magazine? But then Nash- She's talking about her dad being a murderer. The National Geographic has the ladies with boobs hanging out, so yeah. I don't know what to think anymore. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't. All right. Erica, go or don't go at this point. I don't care. (laughs) Gerald ended up pleading guilty to the murders of Virginia Richard and Reagan Uden and admitted to the judge that child support was never a motive, saying, quote, we had money. I was just thinking him standing there handcuffed. He was like, 
I got the money. That's, yeah. That, it was never about that. So it wasn't like he was sick of paying child support for these kids that weren't even biologically his or anything. He's like, no, we had money. Your Honor, do you do you, do you need Obviously, because Erica Go said she was provided everything she ever wanted. They had money. He was like, Honor, Your Honor, do you do you need 20 bucks? <laughs> I got it. If you want to go, you want to go to Subway? I'm yeah. about to go to fucking prison. Let's get a meatball sub. Yeah, he didn't show any remorse in court and was sentenced to life in prison on November 1st, 2014 at the age of 71. Tim McKinney, the local sheriff at the time that the missing persons case was filed by Claire, said, quote, We never had any doubt about who did it. Gerald was our only suspect. He even said to me once, quote, You don't have nothing until you find a body and you are not going to find one. And I told him... If we find a body in 30 years from now, I'm coming after you. The case was the biggest frustration of my career as a lawman. End quote. But it turns out they didn't even need a body since Gerald opened his own big fucking mouth and let the cat out of the bag. And all to try to protect his wife from a charge she wasn't even really facing. So, joke's on you, Gerald. Oh, well, I mean, at the same time, people say love is dead. And I'll tell you what, you're fucking wrong. What? He came to save his wife. But there wasn't anything to save her from. He came back because she got arrested. Sorry. Um, But what made him think that she was being arrested for them if she had nothing to do with it? I'm not saying he's not bright. He swore up and down. It was just him. She never had anything to do with it. But something in his conscience was like, I better get back there because they're going to arrest her. Yeah, that's love. And it kind of makes me wonder if that telegram that the grandma received was maybe sent by her. She's a female. She could say, I'm Virginia so-and-so. I need to send a telegram. All I'm saying is he came back for her. He came back for her honor. And I tell you what, um, they're a bunch of fucking killers and they found love. So if you're single and you're like, they were rock solid. I'm never going to find anybody. There's somebody out there for you. (laughs) Trust me. (laughs) And he'll come back on his fucking semi truck for the company that he worked for and be like, I killed those people. You let her go. <laughs> she didn't have nothing to do with it. No, what you talking? <laughs> so, what if that was a bargain chip the whole time? Where he's like, "Well, you'll never find a body if you don't have a body." Then what, what are we talking? That's about? what he thought. If they don't find the body, they can't prosecute me. They didn't have to. He fucking admitted to it. I know. After she got pinched, so all they would have to do in the interrogation room was like, "Okay, we could ask your wife. She's handcuffed in the other room." Mm-hmm. He'd be like, "I did it," and that's why they let him go on believing that. They didn't tell him any different. Because they knew he'd probably talk. This is a real love story. (laughs) Sure, okay. Thanks, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) So, now we've got Alice. She had been arrested on September 29th, 2013. Okay, so she got shackled. Shackles have chains. Billy joke, go. Now you can play the Alice in Chains joke. If you wanna. she's, She's Alice in Chains. She's Alice in Chains. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. I don't remember any of their songs. All right, wait. Get out. Wait, did they do that runaway? I'm the man in the box. I don't know what that is. Man in the box. Mm-mm. Um, I was listening to Brother Lynch and Tupac. True. Um. Yeah, we really listened to completely different music. Bloods and Crips came out with an album. That was pretty cool. Um, I like Biggie. Um, did they do that whole, like, runaway train never coming back? No. Was, no? Oh, okay. Who was that? Was that Collective Soul? 
No. Okay. Just stop. You don't know any of these bands. <laughs> just stop. You're just going to keep spitting out <laughs> bands from the 90s, and none of them are going to be right. Okay. Pearl Jam, Jeremy. Boom! That's the only one you know. It's a good one. <laughs> it's it a is. fucking good one. Not even a video. Just listen to the song. It's great. It is? Okay, we're moving on. If you guys had just seen Billy's face when he was doing that. Oh my god. He did the head shake and everything. And he's snorting. Jeremy, Jeremy. He does not sing that. I think he did. No. No, remember that one part in the song? No. Erica, go. No. He never sings Jeremy over and over again. Pretty sure he was like, Jeremy. No. You're Jeremy. Not his music. Yep, shut up. Shut up. Fucking grunge. <laughs> I think I did the whole song just now. Nope. Nope. Not even close. Runaway train. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I suck. You do. You do. Oh, it's almost kind of cute, but, if you but play, not really. If you play like a Biggie song, I'll get up and dance. I'm like, oh shit! This is my jam. <laughs> it's my shit. Not Pearl Jam, but a jam. <laughs> I'm a fucking dork. Yep. Nope. Just a thug. Erica, go. I'm gonna. If you want, we're gonna move away from this and pretend it never happened. If you wanna, I'm gonna. So, uh, her trial took place in Cheyenne, Wyoming in May of 2014. Hey, you're part Cheyenne. Yep. All right. Thanks for that, Captain Obvious. She's part Cheyenne. If my round face and my big fucking cheeks don't give it away, I don't know what does. I'm part Blackfoot. Yeah, your feet are pretty dirty. Moving on. Fuck is that supposed to be? (laughs) Blackfoot. Yeah, I get it. Hate all my people. I'm not hating on your people. I'm hating on you. I get it. <laughs> You're so dirty. You can't even get plasma. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> you fucking asshole. Nobody wants nothing from you. <laughs> oh my God. You know what? I wouldn't give anybody anything. Fuck you. I hope one day you look at me and you're like, I need plasma, Billy. I'm thirsty. I don't know why you would need it. But the point is, is I'll be like, no, I ain't. Good enough. And I'll go, okay, all those people that need their meth money go and donate it at the little plasma shop down the street. I'm sure I can get plenty there. You know, and you're right, because they use their plasma cards at my store. Yep. They always ask for a copy of the receipt because it shows the balance they have left. They come in with gauze around their elbows. And I look at them, and I'm like, ah, lucky. But anyway, (laughs) go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so jealous. All right. Oh, wow, okay, plasma. That must be fucking nice. (laughs) All right, so Allison Chains' defense claimed that she shot Ron. That she shot Ron to defend her daughter, and the prosecution claimed it was cold blood. She sat in a wheelchair during the proceedings, and the court supplied her a large hearing aid apparatus that kind of looks like a stethoscope. It's like it fits in each ear and comes down and meets it. Like the neckline. Is it kind of like back like in... Like a V or a Y is shape? Is it kind of like back in the 1700s where you had a horn and you just jammed it in your fucking ear and you're like, huh? Like that? Mm, no. What's well, a stethoscope. I said it's shaped like a stethoscope where it goes into the ears 
And it's all one piece that connects down here in like a V or a Y shaped. And it's just a hearing aid. You're shaped like a person that talks a lot of shit to their husband. Look it up, Billy, if you want to see what it looks like. No, you no, can see. No, no, <laughs> He did it again. Let's move on from the Jeremy video. I ain't going to say shit. Go ahead. Okay. So, Jeremy was a good song. So she, she definitely did look like the kindly little old grandmother in her wheelchair with her hearing aid. Since the state had no proof of connecting her to the disappearance and deaths of Virginia and the boys, she was only tried for the murder of Ron Holtz 40 years prior. Alice's son, Todd, who was 53 by this time, the one that had gone to the police back in 1989, mm -hmm. he was called to the stand by the prosecution. He testified that Alice had told him in the mid-70s about the murder, completely out of the blue, while the two were on a long drive and had been drinking. So... I guess, you know, I know the 70s was a different time. People would hop in their car with the fucking beer in their hand. But, damn. Evidently, she, uh, just one of those drunks that just starts babbling <laughs> when she drinks or something. <laughs> so, he relayed this story for the court and said that she had waited until Ron passed out and shot him with the rifle and then put his body in the mine shaft on Remount Ranch. But he also claimed that she had told him a friend helped her dispose of the body but never said who the friend was. He also testified that he had told numerous people about her confession through the years. The authorities, prior employers, friends, pretty much anyone he could tell. But, you know, of course, since there was no body at that time, there wasn't really any proof that Ron was even dead, so it's not like authorities could move on it then. Yeah. But he said he had been carrying this knowledge for decades, trying to get it resolved. And when he left the stand, he told Alice, I hate you, I hope it was worth it. The defense, of course, objected, and the jury was instructed to disregard his comments off the stand. Which is weird because you can say it, and I've seen that in movies. I've seen it on TV, like um, CSI or that show, I think, JAG or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, the, the, the jury will disregard the comments, the last comments. And it's like, no, we're not. We're yeah. right here. We heard it. He's telling his mother he hates <clears throat> her. Like, we're not going to put that in our decision-making process, but... I heard what the fuck he said just now. Yeah. And I am taking consideration because I'm human. Mm-hmm. You know? But Todd wasn't the only person that Alice had told. One of her daughters, Teresa Twyford, was called to the stand as well. She relayed a very similar story. She said that sometime in the 70s, she and Alice had been drinking, just like in Todd's story. And Alice just blurted out that she killed Ron, saying she shot him as he slept. So, this is a little advice for martinis in the macabre. Don't kill someone and then drink with your children because your dirty little secrets might just slip the fuck out of your mouth. Okay, we're going to put an asterisk in that and just don't fucking kill anybody ever. <laughs> just don't do it. You'll never be in that situation, really. And it makes me think that she must have been very young when she started having kids, because if these kids are old enough to drink, even by 70s standards, when she's telling them all this shit, and yet she's got Erica Go, who's like three or four at this time, the other children must have been quite a bit older. I wonder if she did that to get something out of her kid, you know, like, well, I've been seeing somebody, and, and like, after they've been drinking, you know, like, I've been seeing somebody. It's getting kind of serious, but not too serious, but, you know, I, I, I just, I just, I just don't know. Honey, you could tell me anything. I killed a man. Just uh, what, 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 you know? <laughs> and then, like, that's how it came out. Well, Alice eventually took the stand in her own defense. 
She claimed that Ron had mental issues. Obviously, we all know this. He has medical records and a military record that prove it. Uh, But she also said he had a drinking problem and he was violent. She said that on the day she shot him, Erica Go had been crying and that Ron flew into a rage. He yelled, I'm going to kill her and charged towards Erica Go as if he was going to attack. Quote, I tried to stop him and he knocked me down and ran into her bedroom. I was by the mop closet and I had a gun in there and I grabbed it and followed right behind him and shot him in the back of the head, end quote. She claimed he fell and slumped over the toddler's crib. She never stated that anyone helped her with disposing of the body, but admitted to putting it in a barrel and dropping it in the mine shaft. She sobbed as she addressed the court, quote, I've tried to atone for it. I wish that I would never have met him so that none of this would ever have happened. He was a very frightening man, end quote. I guess maybe she did try to atone for it. She told fucking everybody what happened. She, If it was really in defense of her daughter, why don't you just fucking call the cops? He was going after my daughter, so I shot his ass. That's the thing, too. It's like, okay. Why you gotta hide his body? If that's your story, um, leave the body there where it laid. Mm-hmm. And then call the cops and be like, yeah, you'll Slumped find him. over the crib. Yeah, like, you'll find him over in there. Um, He went to try to kill my daughter. He says he's gonna kill my daughter. Um, You'll find him in there. He's dead, but... Call the coroner if you want. Mm-hmm. He's dead. Watch. Hey. Ron. Ron. Right. He's not getting up. <laughs> There's a big fucking hole in the back of his head. That creates a problem. Ron. I got bacon. He loves bacon. <laughs> if he's, he's not getting up for that, then he's, he's fucking not dead. moving. <laughs> so the jury began deliberations. They could have found her guilty of first-degree murder, second-degree murder, or manslaughter. Now, to me, when you have Alice's own children testifying to the same basic story that Alice said Ron was asleep or unconscious when she shot him, that is premeditated murder. All I could think of is they're like, the judge is like, all right, we are going to have a recess. Um, as of right now, the jury is free to deliberate. Um, remember the shit dude said? Don't fucking... Not that. Don't think about that. Don't even put that in your head. Yeah, Your Honor. Still gonna. <laughs> but yeah, if she, if she shoots this man, waits until he falls asleep or passes out and shoots him, that's first degree murder, if you ask me. She plotted and waited until he was asleep. It was planned, even if only for a moment. You know, like, oh, he's asleep. Now would be a good time to just get rid of him. She gets the gun. Boom. Dead Ron. Even Bye, Ron. Even if she only considered it at that moment and then took the time to retrieve the gun, then committed the crime as he slept, first degree all the way. Am I wrong? No. Nope. Jury convicted her of second degree murder in May of 2014, which I don't fucking get. Two of her children are saying she waited till he passed out and she shot him in the back of the head. There's a bullet hole in the back of his skull that they found. Yeah. Really? Remember, remember when Fred found him? The skull? It was a bullet wound. Mm-hmm. I mean, she didn't deny shooting him in the back of the head. She said she shot him as he was running towards her daughter in the back of the head. But they're both saying, our own mother told us this is what she did. You know what makes what, what I think of is, if he's running in there and you're going to shoot him in the back of the head, it doesn't even matter if it's point blank. You're running behind somebody who is running and charging. It would make more sense if... There was a bullet in the wall of the room. Mm-hmm. Because... 
Or fire a warning shot and get the fuck away from my daughter. Yeah. Something. 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 <laughs> to be like, I have a gun. Back up. You're not Annie Oakley. I'm sorry. It's not like, oh, I got to do something about this. Boom. Did it. And it- yet, in the time it would have taken for him to run from where he was at to the daughter's room, she had time, as she was running behind him, to stop at the mop closet, open the door. Well, according to her, didn't she? Get out the gun. Didn't she fall down by the mop closet? She said he threw her down, and then she ran behind him after she got the gun. Oh, I thought, like, he knocked her down, so, and she hit the ground, and the mop closet was right there, so she opened it and just grabbed a gun. Regardless. I mean, by the time it would take you to get in the closet and get the gun and then get up and follow after him, he would have already had a hold of the daughter, if yeah. that's what he was intending to do. Yeah, logistically, it doesn't no, make sense. No, she waited until was- he passed out, and she shot him in the back of the head. That's yeah. just, that's my belief. That's what the two kids said. I would have found the bitch guilty of first-degree murder. Yeah, because that's what they say. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Wait till he's laying down. That's your best opportunity mm-hmm. to do it. With any, not even a man or a woman. Anybody. Anybody. Wait till they're immobile and then do it. Yep. Because you're right. He would have ran in and grabbed hold of her. And then then what? Now you run risk of shooting him in the back of the head and going through and hitting your daughter. Or you would have to say, hey, I have a gun. Back up. Yeah, maybe you just shouldn't marry guys a month after you've known him when you met him in a psych unit. Or... Just saying. Or, let's be objective, she's a crack shot. I don't know. <laughs> well, they they found her guilty of second-degree murder, and then that was in May, and then she got sentenced August 26th of 2014, and the judge addressed Alice, saying, quote, this was very much a cold, calculated murder, end quote. And he sentenced her to life in prison, so... He probably thought it should have been first-degree murder, too. Obviously, if he's saying it's a cold, calculated murder. That is describing first-degree murder. Am I wrong? Yeah. You'd think. I mean, it doesn't matter. The woman's already in her 70s. But anyway. It's about justice, though. Over the years, many searches of Fremont Lake have taken place, but the bodies of Virginia, Richard, and Reagan have never been recovered. Patron baller Amy said that a search of the grounds of the pig farm was also done, but no dice. Just a random tooth or two and a fingernail. Wait, you're going to play another fucking clip, aren't you? Just of Amy. Oh, cool. I love Amy. (laughs) Go ahead, Amy. So once upon a time, there was a whole bunch of psychos that we thought they threw their kids to the pigs, but no, no, no. They put them in the barrels (laughs) in the lake. (laughs) Down where the fungus and the fish are. (laughs) And they were never seen again. Yeah, I didn't even think about the pig farm aspect. Yeah, but we we found like two teeth, a fingernail, a couple half bullet shells. We didn't find a lot. And we brought in the um, uh, University of Wyoming um, anthropology. They brought them all in that whole entire fucking thing. And that's all it was found. Yeah, we sifted through like an acre and a half over the course of like two weeks. And that'll be Googleable on County 10. It's not something I'm sharing with you that I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we I mean, we went over like two fucking acres. We found like a tooth, some fingernails, but no, the, the teeth. And the fingernails never went back to the boys or the mom. Yeah. Claire Martin never got to find out what happened to her daughter and grandsons or see any justice for them 
Sadly, she passed away in the spring of 2013, just mere months before the cases broke wide open. She was 92. She'd spent all of the rest of her life trying to figure out what happened to them. Now, since Alice hadn't even met Gerald when Ron was killed, I'm assuming that he probably wasn't the friend that helped dispose of the body. You air-quoted. Quote-unquote friend. I love you. That helped dispose (laughs) of the body. So, if there was indeed an accomplice to the body disposal, they've never been named or found. So, there could be someone out there right now, probably dead, I would assume, if... You know, they were around her age group. I doubt it. You put a person in the barrel, just roll the fucking barrel. You don't need anybody's help. Yeah. Give it a good but kick. But if that's what she's told her kid, I mean, it's possible. But with Virginia and the boys, there's still a question of whether Alice helped or at least knew about the murders or possibly instructed Gerald to carry them out. I mean, by his own words, Alice didn't like Virginia or the situation in general. So she very well could have put that little bug in Gerald's ear. And or helped with the body disposal. And like I mentioned earlier, maybe even be the one that sent the telegram. Of course, he denied all that and said she had absolutely nothing to do with it. I don't necessarily think she was there when the murder occurred. I just can't see her hopping in the car with the rest of them to go hunting like this big, strange, weird extended family to go bird hunting as a ploy so she could be there. So I, I don't really, I don't feel it in my gut that she was there, but... Maybe when he had to get rid of the bodies, she certainly could have helped him. I mean, that's three bodies you got to get rid of. And he's saying he put them in a mine shaft first and then went back, got him out of the mine shaft, drove him out to a lake, and then rolled him into the water. So he may have asked for help with that. So Maybe. she she could have been involved. I mean, she did have experience putting a body in a mine shaft. Yeah. <laughs> What's weird is there's a barrel with a body in it. And the person with you is like, not my first rodeo. That's fucking disturbing. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, oh, this old hat. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's the crazy cases of Gerald and Alice Uden, the elderly couple convicted of completely unrelated murders decades ago that happened to be husband and wife. So, you can let us know your thoughts on the case or give us updates if you ever hear anything about them. You can do that on our Facebook page, Martinis and the Macabre, or on our fan page on Facebook, Friends Who Like Martinis and the Macabre. Love is forever. (laughs) You can also (laughs) chat at us on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre and follow us on Instagram at Martinis and the Macabre. But full disclosure, we don't do much on Instagram. But you can follow most of our shenanigans on the other three. And a huge, huge thank you once again to baller patron Amy, not only for her pledge, but for bringing these stories to us and then chatting with us on Skype. She has our undying love, especially since she thinks we deserve $25 more than Audible does. So suck it, Audible. Yeah. How about that, Audible? And I am now pledging 25 bucks a month to Martins and Macabre. And that's why you have our undying love. (laughs) That's what he said. Guess Do who's like going in my I will. <laughs> I listen to you guys when I'm cooking. I mean, I'm catching up on old things and whatever. Oh, yeah, same amount of money I give to Audible, I give to you guys. Thank Prefer- you. Because we've bought the same fucking equipment you guys have to buy. <laughs> I'd rather listen to your fucking shit. True story. Yeah. Then I would rather listen to the fucking crap I get off Audible. And that's just amazing to me. I mean, seriously, we never thought we'd 
have this kind of reaction from people when we first started this. And so I'll be honest, I never thought I would take this soundbite and put it in an email to send the Audible, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> do it! Do it! Motherfuckers, I'd rather listen to Martinez on the Cub. That too. <laughs> Twenty five bucks a month. Just to Martinez on the Cub, not Audible. Audible, Plus you Audible. ain't shit. Audible, you ain't shit. And thank you to Rusty for joining in the chat as well. We had a really good time talking with both of them. Hey, Rusty. So, with that out of the way, of course, now the basic stuff we have to wrap up with. I want to thank all of you guys for listening to the episode, and if you liked what you heard. Please get on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. I know Billy said earlier today we've gotten a few new ones. Thank you guys for that. This is the best and easiest way to help us. It helps with the visibility of the show. It makes us easier to find. And we know it can be a pain in the ass, especially if you don't have an iTunes account. You know, if you can't afford to help us monetarily, if you can just take five minutes, set up an iTunes account, throw a five-star rating at us, that would be super great. Of course, please check out the other great podcast on the Murderly Network that we share our little podcast home with. Show them some love, too. You can find all of us at murder.ly. Oh, and they're great shows. They are great they shows. They are. I listened to several of them myself, and I don't have enough time to listen to any more. Otherwise, I would. <laughs> and what's the other one? Uh, Dark Poutine? Dark Poutine. We've got Affirmative Murder, Murder and Such. Hunter, one of our big patrons, he's been with us Pretty much from the beginning. And I know I've been around pretty much since the beginning of their show. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, check all those guys out. They are great. Hunter's an OG. Yep, OG. And uh, if you'd like to be a real baller like Amy and financially sports show, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis in the macabre and make a pledge. Even just a $1 pledge gets you access to our patron-only audio each month. And just for a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And we actually just recorded this month's Patreon episode right before this one. And they got quite a story from Billy about this past week that you guys won't be able to hear about unless you join Patreon. I saved it for the Patreon. It was for patrons only. And it is quite a doozy. It's horrifying. (laughs) So I, I do want to take some time to thank our patrons, Kate. And you can check her out. She's on the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. Hunter that we've mentioned. Uh, Cooper, Bridget, Molly, Sue, Holly, Corey, Amy, Heather, Stephen, Christy, and Donald. Thank you guys. You are all awesome snuggle bunnies that have our undying love. And to the new patrons, your packets, your stickers and certificates, whatever you signed up for, those will be going out at the beginning of the month. So be looking for those the first week of September. We've already got most of the stuff set up. We're just waiting on the month to roll over and then we will get everything out to you guys. You can visit our website, martinisinthemacabre.com, that we mentioned earlier. You can learn a little bit more about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. Keep listening, because another one will be at the end of this episode. And be sure to find his first official album release called Views on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. And you can find links to all of that jazz on the music page on the website. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email or do what Amy did and just send me a message on Facebook. Uh, But you can email us at martinisinthemacabre at gmail.com or you can use the contact page on the website. I do have something I want to add that's going to add to it. Okay. And this is totally unrelated. This happened the other night and I want to share it. Okay. I took a test 
to see if you're working with a psychopathic mindset. Not that you're a psychopath or you're Haven't a Haven't you done this before? I've done it before. And this is a new, this is a new one. And it's a set of questions. But there was one question that stuck out to me. And it's like, oh, if you answer this this way, you're fine. If you answer it this way, there's a f- red flag. Not that you're a psychopath. Because there are psychopaths in industry that, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You could turn it into a bad thing. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Here's the question. And I got it right. Or no, I didn't get it right. But my answer was instant. And I'm wondering why... So many people went the other way. It doesn't make sense to me. What's the question? Okay. You're at your mom's funeral. You see a man. And this man is gorgeous. He's handsome. He's lively. He's the one. Right? You love at first sight. He's the one. Right? Okay. But you don't even know his name. Right? Uh-huh. So two weeks later, you kill your sister. Why? I knew the answer immediately. Is it her boyfriend or I, I don't... That's what people were thinking. No. But it, 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 when, I, when I saw the question, I was like, oh, no, obviously. Kill your sister because... The competition? No. He showed up at your mom's funeral. He'll show up at your sister's funeral. You'll see him again. You are crazy. And I answered that immediately. And then I was like, if you come up with this answer... That's a red flag. And I was like, how is that a red flag? Because you're willing to go so far as to kill someone in the hopes that you'll see some guy. Well, you didn't get his information. It's a little bit crazy. You didn't get his information the first time. This time you can at least get a phone number. That's your stupidity for not getting his information. You don't go kill your sister so you can see him again. But your guarantee is going to fucking show up and you'll be like, can I text you? That way you at least get the ball rolling. You fumbled it the first time. You correct it the second time. Maybe I'm alone on this. Yep. I don't think you're alone, but in this house, you're alone. You get to sleep on the couch tonight. Anyway, stay safe, snuggle bunnies. We'll see you in two weeks. I'm totally sane. Pray for me. Bye. Good vibes.
Did I tell you the joke that <laughs> told me? Which one? The dinosaur one? No. This was a while back. He told me, he was like, hey, Dad. <laughs> it was great. He was like, hey, Dad, why can't a Tyrannosaurus Rex do push-ups? I said, well, he's got, he's got little arms. And he said, well, no, he's extinct, stupid. <laughs> I love that kid. And I was like, you know, normally I'd kick you through a fucking wall for calling me stupid. But that was good. But that was good. I give credit where credit's due. You get to have that one. That was pretty funny. <laughs>